It is therefore ordered that you shall be put to death by electrocution in the mode prescribed by law, and that you shall be transferred to the custody of the warden at the Tennessee Prison for Women. And further, on the 12th day of January, 1997, your body shall be subjected to shock by sufficient current of electricity. May God have mercy upon you. Mr. Bates, please hold this pipe in the dock. Can I please have a mama before I go? Mr. Bates, please hold this pipe in the dock. Please hold this pipe in the dock. Oh, and I love you. And I love you. Harmony, and welcome to this episode. Jealousy is a weird emotion. It's an odd feeling that can strike at any moment. Many people, I'm sure, have learned to control the emotion of jealousy. After all, jealousy is a very big ego-driven feeling. You almost feel entitled to what somebody else has, or maybe you just want it so badly and instead of working for it, you want to take it. Jealousy is a bitch. And jealousy is the motivator behind the case I have for you today. Krista Pike is the youngest female to ever be sentenced at the time to death in the United States history. The things that this girl did are absolutely shocking and fucking heinous, which is probably most likely why she got the death penalty because it's fucked up. I want to focus on the circumstances of Krista's life before we talk about the case. This way you can kind of see how we get from point A to point B. You see, we, you and I and everybody else aren't inherently born as killers. We are not born with the thought of murdering and ending someone's life. Or are we? It's a question that I think I've asked myself so many times doing research for these kinds of stories. Sometimes it's just not easy to say, no, killers aren't born, they're created. And then other times, like from Krista's case, the answers aren't so clear. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, allow me to tell you the story of Colleen Slimmer and her murderer, Krista Pike. A case fueled by jealousy. I did something horrible that is unacceptable, and I realize that. But I don't deserve to die for the actions of three individuals. I'm against the death penalty, and I just have so much faith that God is not going to let my daughter die. Krista Gail Pike was born on March 10th of 1976 in West Virginia. Sadly though, horrific things were done to her by people who were supposed to love and care for her. And this began before Krista even left the womb. Her mother had a few issues with substances. In fact, 
While she was pregnant with Krista, she drank and consumed drugs, which doctors would go on to later say led to Krista having an underdeveloped brain. She was also born prematurely and then given to her grandmother to be raised. This was done basically immediately after Krista was born. Her mother was just not fit. She chose to party, drink, and do drugs over being a mother. And Krista's father, well, he was also not really wanting to be in the picture. This poor little baby Krista was already off to a really bad start. And I'm sorry, but it does not get any better. You would think that because it was figured out rather soon that her parents weren't going to be any good for her, so being put in her grandmother's home would be. And you know, I'll give you a pass for thinking such things, but you're dead wrong. It wasn't really a good thing that Krista was with her grandmother. Unfortunately, her grandmother was a little bit sadistic and quite terrible. She was also an alcoholic, and she lived with a man that she was dating. This man wasn't a really good guy. He was allegedly molesting Krista, and this began when she was still in diapers. Even worse, her grandmother knew about it and did nothing to stop it. Reason number 7562-C, why I hate people. So when her grandmother died, Krista was just 12 and it was, it was still pretty rough on her, but she was sent to live with her mother. At the time, her mother was working as a nurse and still didn't have, you know, like the whole motherly love bones in her body. Not to mention, her mother also had a live-in boyfriend, and he wasn't a good guy either. In fact, he had a very physically violent tendency of just beating the shit out of Krista. She would be beaten by him over and over again with his belt, and nobody would step in to stop him. Now, when Krista was still a kid, her mother decided that she wanted to, like, you know, start bonding with her, you know, get that, like, mother-daughter little fun time. And you want to know how she did this? By getting high with her child. They were sitting and smoking the ganja. Which, hey, side note, I have totally done with my father. However, there's a big difference between me and my dad and Krista and her mom. My dad and I were both adults. So as you can imagine, this wasn't like your typical mother-daughter relationship. Krista's mother treated her like a friend. There were no rules in the house, there were no routines. Krista was basically allowed to do whatever she wanted, whenever she wanted, as long as it didn't piss off the live-in boyfriend. When the boyfriend became a little bit too much, sometimes Krista would go and stay with her birth father. You remember the one who wanted nothing to do with her? Sadly, that relationship was really strained because, well, he didn't want anything to do with Krista. He really hadn't even been involved in her upbringing, and now she was just this out-of-control teenager with no structure, no rules, or any sort of parenting. As a result, when she would show up, he would kick her out at least two to three times before she was even 18. Krista was definitely struggling with school as well, as it's not easy for her to make it by with all of this tumultuous home life. She ended up dropping out of high school, which gave her even more time to just, you know, get into trouble and do bad things. Soon, she started shoplifting and then was arrested. Even spent time in a juvenile detention center for this crime. As we get deeper into this story, you're gonna see that Krista Pike isn't really the best and sneakiest criminal. She's not the most careful. She's absolutely not even slightly elusive. And 
everything she does really makes it come off as though she just wants to get caught. However, after her time in the detention center was up, it almost seemed as if she was finally kind of, you know, getting on the up and up. Her life seemed to be turning around. She enrolled in a career training program called Job Corps. We all have dreams, big dreams, of who we know we want to be, of what we know we can do. And there's a way to get there. The price of admission isn't money, it's the desire to succeed. Success takes skill. Skill takes training. Training takes work. If you're ready to learn, train, and work, Job Corps is ready for you. These Job Corps students can tell you it's real. Job Corps. Careers begin here. According to the website and all that you can find about Job Corps, it helps eligible young people between the ages of 18 and 24 complete their high school education, train for some meaningful careers, and assist them with obtaining employment. At 18 years old, Krista entered Job Corps wanting to follow in her mother's footsteps. She wanted to become a nurse, and this program would allow her to do that. Except, everything was about to change because Krista was about to commit murder. But not until she meets a boy and falls in love and gets a little bit jealous. I think she sort of latched onto it because it was interesting to him. Sidero was respected, if not feared. He protected me. He was probably the first man that I'd ever had in my life that wanted to protect me, that saw me as, you know, a treasure, something good instead of something to use and toss to the side. It was there at Job Corps that Krista would meet her boyfriend, 17-year-old Tadaryl Ship. Tadaryl was studying for culinary arts. And together, the two were this, like, perfect storm, just waiting to rage. Much like Krista, Tadaro had a pretty difficult upbringing. His mother raised him by herself, but she struggled to even make ends meet. Side note, as a single mother who barely has any help from, well, my son's father, it's, it's difficult out here, let me tell ya. I make too much for help from Uncle Sam, but I don't make enough to really get by in the world today, if you know what I'm saying, because, oh my god, it's scary out here. Sadly, though, they could barely get by. They lived in a rather poor area and a really bad neighborhood. So Daryl ended up getting involved with gangs at a pretty early age. Mixing with these gangs got him into some serious criminal activity. He ended up dropping out of school by grade 9. He was, however, trying to do the same thing as Krista, make one last-ditch effort to try and get his life together. Unfortunately, though, the pair spent most of their time getting into trouble together instead of studying or, I don't know, trying to better themselves. Krista's best friend was also another person who was at Job Corps, Shadola Peterson. The pair quickly hit it off and apparently had a lot in common with each other when they met including their interest in Satanism, which they both rumored to have practiced, and to Daryl, who also was interested in the occult and Satanism, well, the three of them started this little 
cult maybe? Creepy Kids Club, Satanist Anonymous, all things spooky scary skeletons, I don't actually know what they call themselves. Krista, Shadola, and Tadaryl were even overheard frequently talking about participating in possibly a human sacrifice. Just a normal Tuesday afternoon if you catch my drift. Go grocery shopping, take the dog for a walk, commit human sacrifice, be in bed by 9.30. Unfortunately though, nobody took them seriously. They were just a bunch of kids talking about odd things. Although I don't know why nobody batted an eyelash at human sacrifice. That's just, that's not normal talk if you catch my drift. If I heard 17 and 18 year olds talking about murdering somebody all in the name of Satan, I'd be a little bit suspicious. I don't know what I would do, but I don't know if I would just turn the other way. Sadly, everyone turning the other way to these three talking about it was not good for Colleen Slemmer. This is where our story is really about to get heinous. Krista made other friends, including a quiet girl named Shadola Peterson. But Krista also found an enemy, 19-year-old Colleen Slemmer. Krista was angry because she had heard or she was accusing Colleen of having designs on Tadaryl's ship and she wasn't going to let anybody get her boyfriend. In fact, Colleen was never interested in Tadaryl, but Krista became strangely obsessed with her imaginary rival. Krista would go into Colleen's room, uh, Colleen would wake up and Krista was standing over her and she had called her mother, told her that she was very afraid of Krista Pike. I need to get out of here. I need to get home. I don't want to be here. I hate it. And I said, you can't, you signed a contract, you have to stay there. I want to begin this segment with a little anecdote. I don't know if you have ever been cheated on or if you've ever felt as though maybe your partner was going behind your back, being deceitful, lying to you, talking to other, maybe having an emotional connection, a physical connection, you know, cheating really does something to you if you're the person who's been cheated on. And I'm saying that because the jealousy that arises in this case is because of rumors of cheating. If you've ever been cheated on, you know that shit fucks you up. My most recent relationship, I will be completely honest, and he cheated on me. He was actually in a relationship with a woman that he had cheated on his wife with, and I don't even know if she ever knew uh, it was her best friend. They're still best friends today, so I highly doubt that she knew. However, it was the other woman that, as much as I don't like her, had enough respect for me as a woman to tell me the truth of the situation. While my boyfriend just sat there with his thumb in his ass, shocked that he was caught, and even more shocked that I was upset. I know, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Why would I care about something like that? It's almost as if we were in a monogamous relationship and that was going out of the bounds of such a thing. Anyways, with all that said, I think I can kind of understand when you're cheated on it makes you fucking angry you got a lot of big emotions and you want to get those shits out but i don't condone nor believe that murder is the answer and that's coming from a woman who a few times would have loved to knock her ex out for his bitch ass ways his cheating tendencies and his manipulative abuse but instead i just cried a lot and hated existing but i'm a free woman and I'm not in prison, unlike Krista, which is because she took 
a whole different route. Colleen Slimmer was a 19-year-old girl from Jacksonville, Florida, when she began her stay at Job Corps. Colleen was going for computer technology, which is very lucrative and obviously the field of IT, engineering, big areas, technology is booming. Because of this, however, Colleen ran in a completely different crowd than Krista, Tadaryl, and Shadola. In fact, if it wasn't for this little rumor that was about to start spreading throughout the campus, Colleen and Krista probably never would have crossed paths. However, like I said, a little birdie started telling people that Colleen was pursuing Tadaryl. But not even just that, that they had also hooked up. They was doing the devil's tango, brown chicka brown cow. There wasn't a whole lot of validity to this rumor. However, it was said that supposedly Tadaryl would eventually confess to Krista that he had in fact hooked up with Colleen behind Krista's back. Either way, Krista was incredibly jealous and possessive of Tadaryl. So I guess you could say Colleen was in for a lot of trouble. Cause here's this very young, unable to control her big emotions lady who believed that Colleen wanted her man. Oh God, it's just not gonna end well, obviously. Seriously, Krista was not gonna let this go. Whether the rumor was, was true, whether they actually hooked up or not, whether Colleen wanted Daryl or she didn't. It could have been real or imagined, whatever it was, Krista finally had a reason to let all of her anger out. And, well, she has a lifetime worth up to this point, and she's ready to let it go. I wanted to get her off campus, and I had every intention of fighting her. Probably when they came through this tunnel, that's when Colleen began to think that she was in trouble. And she started asking Krista if she really was going to have weed uh, and smoke a joint. In response, Krista started yelling at Colleen, hitting her in the face again and again. As Krista was hitting uh, Colleen, she was fighting back. And... Uh, Colleen wanted to try to make sense of the whole thing, and she kept saying, now wait a minute, let's talk about this. Then the horror began. Krista took out a box cutter she'd hid in her jacket and slashed Colleen's stomach, hands, and breasts. Well, Colleen tried to run away, and that really infuriated Krista. And uh, Krista and Tadaryl uh, knocked her down and drug her back. Then she started kicking her. On January 11th of 1995, Krista's in class hanging with one of her classmates and she looks at her friend and says, I'm gonna kill Colleen. <laughs> okay, calm down crazy. Seriously, the classmate was just like, all right, um, sure you are. Why don't you pop my doll, sweetheart? Because you sound like you're PMSing. I'm not kidding. In the 90s, it was completely normal to tell somebody to pop a doll. So her classmate took Colleen and her threat at zero face value. She honestly thought that Colleen was just kind of pissed because of this whole rumor spreading around campus that her boyfriend was completely unfaithful. And of course, instead of being mad at her boyfriend, you know, the man who was putting his uh, body parts in other people's body parts, just saying. 
it takes two to tango. Anyways, her classmate was just like, yeah, no, she's obviously in a dark place because of what's going on. She doesn't know real from fake, so she's got a lot she's dealing with. She's just venting. But then the following day on January 12th, when Krista, in fact, asked Colleen to hang out with her. That may have been a little bit of a red flag. They actually planned to head out to the park that evening, smoke a little of the weed, a little bit of ganja, get a little high. You see, Krista offered to do this as like a, a peace offering, metaphorical peace pipe, if you will. Nothing says we're cool now, like bonding and getting high together. So around 8 p.m. that evening, the four teens were spotted walking away from the Job Corps dormitory. However, only three of them would return to the dorms a few hours later. I don't know if my math is correct here, but I think one is missing. I don't know. I was never a mathematician, so I could be wrong. However, it seems as though I'm pretty spot on here. I think I'm math incorrect because once they were away from all of the prying eyes, the real plan went into effect. Krista was in fact going to kill Colleen. And this was going to be as a human sacrifice and out of complete pure utter rage and jealousy. Ooh, that's some big emotions with some crazy outcomes. Her friend Shadola acted like a lookout and just made sure that nobody was walking their way so that they could uh, get through what was going on. For the next 30 minutes, Krista viciously tortured Colleen. I knew exactly what I was doing. Everything that I did that night, I knew what I was doing. And I think I was taking things out on her that had happened to me years ago. Then Krista gave the box cutter to Tadaryl to use on Colleen. He cut a pentagram into her chest with the box cutter, uh, symbolizing Satan. Here is a young woman who must have gone through absolute hell. And I can't imagine anybody going through that, and I can't imagine enduring that as she did for that long. They toyed with her, they played cat and mouse with her. They would let her get up, she would beg for her life. At one point they said that she told them, just, just let me go, I'll not say anything. And they said, you, you know, we can't do that. You know, we've already done stuff to you. For 45 minutes she had cut her, she cut her throat. She made that comment, the bitch won't die. And so she took a large piece of asphalt that was discarded on the side of the road. She made five strikes with that piece of asphalt. And finally she said, I want to see her brains flow. And she, with all her might, hit Colleen in the head and cracked her skull and gray matter did spill from Colleen's head. This shit is so fucked, man. Listen, I know I like to tell you guys about murder and I'm a really dark and twisted woman. I am not gonna deny that. However, however, reiterating sometimes and repeating the absolute grotesque and purely heinous shit that some of the monsters that walk around this fucking planet do disturbs me. So with that being said, let's talk about Krista and her fucking disturbing crime. First, she made Colleen strip. 
She made her remove both her shirt and her bra, all in order to humiliate her. She also did this to ensure that Colleen wouldn't run away because, on a real note, not a lot of people are gonna run away when they're in that sort of vulnerable physical state. They don't really want the whole world seeing their titties flying around. Even if you're terrified, your brain still kind of goes, oh my god, I am naked! Then, Krista and Tadaryl begin to hit and kick Colleen as she lie on the ground. Krista took out two weapons which she had brought with her. One was a box cutter, and the other was a meat cleaver. She began to cut Colleen with the box cutter. Colleen would even end up with a pentagram on her stomach. This was more so from Tadaryl. Then Krista began to stab Colleen, slicing at her skin, cutting her more than 300 times. But Colleen was still alive through all of this. Side note, I'm gonna be very vulnerable and tell you guys something here. I've been stabbed, it is not a fun feeling, and I've had it happen to me multiple times in one experience. You feel everything. And I don't know how to explain it. When your insides feel some sharp pain, it ain't fun. Can't imagine 300 times. While Colleen lay there on the ground bleeding, she tried to talk to Krista. She was trying to convince Krista to stop, saying that if maybe her and Tadaryl just let her go, they, would, they wouldn't have to worry. She would just go to Florida immediately. She would get out of their lives. She would never, ever speak a word to anybody of it. She would be gone. They would, they would never worry. But that didn't stop Krista. Krista wasn't going to risk it. Instead, she took a large piece of asphalt that was lying on the ground and began hitting Colleen up on her head. She hit her roughly five times until she died a very agonizing death because Colleen's skull split open and literal matter from her brain spilled out. And this, you're still alive. You're just slowly dying and Colleen felt every part of her body shut down as her brain literally went dead. In fact, Krista would later go on to describe the gargling sounds that Colleen was making as she choked and suffocated on her blood because her skull had cracked open. When Colleen finally stopped making noises and it was clear that she had died, Krista bent down and picked up a piece of Colleen's skull, put it in her jacket pocket, you know, just to save it as a some sort of sick fucking trophy. What the fuck? Oh my god, do you not get what I'm saying? People are fucked, man. People are so fucked up. I might come here and tell you all of these no-no tales because no-no. <laughs> this shit is twisted. I'm just, people are fucking twisted. People are so gosh darn twisted. That's my whole point. You know, like Krista is super twisted. Because from there, the three of them covered up Colleen's bodies with some leaves, and then they just walked back to the dorms like nothing ever happened. Didn't just murder somebody. They left Colleen's body behind in the park in a very shallow grave, not even truly attempting to hide it. They literally just scattered a little bit of leaves on it and were like, all right, that's good enough. Bye. was really a slaughter. And that's not a word that I'd use lightly, but it was a slaughter. This victim is pleading for her life. She's trying to run away. She's saying, if you let me go, I won't do anything to put you in trouble. It's happening on a cold, rainy January night in the dark in a place 
where nobody can hear Colleen screaming because that's what she's doing. You add all that up together, it's, it's hard to forget that kind of a crime. It did not ever once enter my thoughts that Krista was involved in that murder. Once I found out that's what had happened, I still couldn't believe it. It would be around 11 o'clock when Krista returned to the dorm. And again, she wasn't trying to hide anything. Krista's roommate was in their room when she arrived, and immediately Krista began bragging about the fact that she had just murdered Colleen. Of course, her roommate didn't believe her and was just like, yeah, okay. To which, you remember that little piece of Colleen's skull that Krista put in her pocket? She pulled it out and was like, then how did I get this bitch? Immediately, her roommate was a little bit put at ease, but didn't really take it any farther than that. Although, Krista was singing and dancing around the room as she retold the tale of killing Colleen. That is so fucked up. Yet, her roommate didn't tell anyone and didn't go to the police. It wasn't, in fact, until two days later that anyone even knew that Colleen was dead. This was when an employee at Job Corps actually ended up stumbling upon Colleen's body. At first, he thought he saw some animal remains, and as he approached, he realized these were the mangled remains of a human. When the first responding officer arrived, he made a note that he couldn't even tell what he was looking at. He didn't know where her face was because she had been so badly beaten. And I'm sorry to be that graphic, but you really couldn't tell what you were seeing. Krista did a number to Colleen. And I want you to know that because Colleen, she was unrecognizable due to the actions of Krista. Krista, who says she feels bad now, but I don't know. This is fucking heinous. In fact, Colleen's body had too many wounds to count. According to the medical examiner, every single wound on her body had red around it, meaning her heart was still beating as she received her wounds. All of the time the knife went in and out of her body, she felt it. Her heart was still beating, blood was still flowing. Colleen didn't die until gray matter escaped her brain because her skull had been torn open by asphalt. I know it wasn't actually torn, but I mean, tomato tomato it was ripped open by a blunt object her skull did what it was not supposed to do in fact i don't think anyone's skull is supposed to beep, split like a watermelon you're not gonna live to tell the tale of that at least not usually and this was all at the hands of krista and her depravity colleen felt every single slice and dice in her skin from the pentagram to the slit across her throat do you remember the beginning of the story when I said that Krista wasn't really a careful, elusive lady, that she loved to show all of her crimes and she was just a dumb criminal? You know what I'm saying? She wasn't very smart, wasn't very bright when it came to the crimes. She wasn't. In this case, she just bragged about what she had done to anybody who would listen. And I don't know about you, but I feel that killing 101 is keep your fucking mouth shut. It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. So, once Colleen's body was recovered, it didn't take long for the police to determine who the main suspect was. It was the little girl who wouldn't shut her mouth down at Job Corps. So she was brought in for questioning. Almost immediately, Krista confessed to the entire thing. She gave police permission to search her dorm room and told them where they could find her jeans that were soaked in Colleen's blood. She showed investigators where she had even dumped evidence and where she had hidden Colleen's ID. 
She then retraced her steps back to the scene of the crime and gave them intense details on how they could just basically build a case against her because she walked them through a play-by-play of the murder. If there ever was any doubt whether Krista had killed Colleen, all doubt would have been squashed the moment that the school counselor discovered a jacket that Krista had left in his office. Would you like to know what was in that jacket right there, snuggled up in the pocket? A piece of Colleen's skull. That little sick and sadistic trophy that Krista just had to have. As stated, Krista gave the police a lengthy confession, even wrote it down. She said that the two women had been having issues for quite some time, and that these issues mainly stemmed from, you know, to Daryl and the issues she had with Colin wanting to Daryl. Because that was her man. Initially, Krista said that she just wanted to scare Colleen, you know, to get her to stop running her mouth and to leave to Daryl alone. The fact that Krista brought a meat cleaver and a box cutter though with her makes it look as though that's not really what she was hoping for. Seems as though she may have had a little bit of some violent undertones already planned. I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna go meet up to talk to somebody, I don't bring weapons. I mean, if my whole encounter with you is not in hopes that I'm gonna probably try to take your life, I don't need a weapon. I mean, I might have one as a woman who's you know, out in the world alone for protection. But if I'm gonna go hang out with a friend to try to like talk, I'm not bringing a meat cleaver. The most you're gonna see on me is a vape and my phone. But a meat cleaver and a box cutter? I don't need that. Do you need that for a conversation? And if you do, maybe you should stop and think twice about yourself because you sound like Krista Jr. Krista, by her own statement to Randy York, said that this had gone beyond what she thought it would. If, if you turn your back, you thought, you'd think you was talking to a little girl. She was very talkative, very willing, very excited about what she did, willing to tell you about it. And right off, I got the impression that this is the grandest thing that's ever happened to her, and it's this is her highlight in life. I was the first one they arrested, the first one they interviewed. And I thought that if I went in there and told him that I did every single thing that happened up there, that Daryl and Shadala would just get to walk out of there and they wouldn't worry about them anymore because they had the real killer. Through one of the psychiatrists come out with the opinion that she had all the profile of being a serial killer but probably got caught her first time. Krista told police that Colleen pleaded for her life. But as she did this, it only infuriated Krista more. Because the more that Colleen talked, the more difficult she found it to go through with the killing. Sort of added that human element there, which really, really fucked with Krista's head. She described how at one point she thought she heard someone walking toward them. So she stopped the attack and took a look around. Colleen then took this opportunity to try to get up and run away. But Krista pushed her back down to the ground and began kicking her in the face. Krista claimed that she wanted to put Colleen out of her pain and misery. That's when she decided to do her a favor by hitting her in the head with a large piece of asphalt. She also sold out her boyfriend and her friend, naming to Daryl Ship and Shadola Peterson as her co-conspirators. What happened to snitches get stitches? Krista was charged with murder, and while it was absolutely clear that she was the one who tortured and murdered Colleen, her attorneys tried to argue that she had diminished mental capacity and a very severe case of borderline personality disorder. Side note, 
as somebody who has been diagnosed with this, I really, 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 really despise how people try to use it as a way to blame murder or real bad shit on like, you know, what they did. No, that's not how, no, no, no. Yeah, okay, BBD is real bad and you can have some serious issues with splitting, but like, I don't know, it just angers me. Anyways, let's continue. They were trying to point Krista toward a, uh, a difficult upbringing. You know, all the abuse that she endured, that she suffered as a child, caused the disassociation, caused the BPD, which as somebody who also endured lots of abuse and disassociated and used a lot of her own serotonin and dopamine to get high on my own supply so I didn't have to live through the horrific reality of what I was enduring. I get it, and I can see that Krista most likely had some severe mental illnesses because of this. But to say that that is, you know, the reason that you committed murder, okay, even if it is, mm, doesn't mean that you just get a slap on the wrist. You took somebody's life. You're gonna fucking pay for it. Sorry. But you are. They also tried to use that Krista also had a dependency on marijuana, which made her do bad things. Shut the fuck up with that shit, okay? I smoke on the daily, often. If you don't like it, I'm so sorry, but you don't live my life. Anyways, I'm not out here murking people, punching babies, and stealing candy from kids. Instead, I am wondering why I walked into a room, because I, I probably got so high I forgot, but most of the time it's because I'm hungry. <laughs> But I still forgot why I walked into the kitchen because, come on, I'm high. I'm baked off my ass and I cannot remember why I even got up off the couch, okay? Okay. Sorry, I'm trying to make this really fucked up episode a little bit lighter, alright? Let's laugh. Let's laugh together. <laughs> Let's talk about some more fucked up shit now. Her trial was huge. The DA was running for office, so the media was all there. My suspicion is that she appreciated that and probably felt like it gave her some status. Earlier in this episode, I mentioned that a doctor had stated Krista had an underdeveloped brain. This is really interesting because according to Dr. Jonathan Henry Pincus, he studied Krista Pike's brain and found that her frontal lobes were not put together properly. The frontal lobe is where a sense of right and wrong is developed and recorded. He testified that he believes Krista was doomed from the beginning. When her mother was pregnant with her, she continued to drink heavily, like consumed vigorous amounts of alcohol on a daily basis, which leads to fetal alcohol syndrome, AKA Krista's brain not forming properly. He also added that every killer that he has examined shares three features along with Krista. Brain damage a history of abuse and mental illness, as stated, all of which Krista has suffered with. Yes, these are all factors and could be likely reasons to add to her committing a brutal murder, but they are not an excuse. Obviously, the courts agreed because she was found guilty of capital murder and conspiracy to commit murder. It only took the jury roughly three hours to make their decision. Right now, you're probably wondering, well, did she feel bad? I mean, if you were to watch how she was found guilty and then when she was punished, you're gonna see her crying. She is blubbering, she is so sad. But if you would think that that sadness was over the fact that she had murdered Colleen, you would think wrong. You see, Krista wrote to Daryl a letter in prison. Allow me to read this to you. 
please write me. I miss you so much. You see what I get for trying to be nice to the hoe? I went ahead and bashed her brains out so she'd die quickly instead of letting her bleed to death and suffer more. And they f fry me? <sighs> Ain't that some shit. Please write me and tell me how you're feeling. Also, tell your lawyer if he wants me to testify for you. I will. Love you for the rest of my life little devil. Now, as for her boyfriend, Tadaryl Ship, he would also be convicted of murder for the role that he played. He was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. Krista's best friend, Shadola Peterson, who acted as the lookout, testified against both Krista and Tadaryl and received probation in exchange for her testimony. As for Krista, she would never ever leave prison again. Krista was sentenced to death by electrocution, which is practically unheard of for someone her age. This was a severe sentencing, and she was the youngest woman to ever be put on death row at the time. However, we all know how long these things take, so this whole sentencing that began in 1996 hasn't followed through today. Krista is still sitting on death row. And I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, she's been living a pretty busy life in prison, still making a name for herself, and it's not really a good one. Her mom took the stand and said, and it sticks in my mind today, I was a terrible mother. I was a terrible mother. She tried to show the jury, hey, some of this is my fault. If there's any one thing that I could change if I went back, would be that I would have spent more time with my children. Every child goes through broken homes or mixed up families or whatever. That does not give a child a right to, you know, kill. In 2004, Krista got in a tiff with another inmate by the name of Patricia Jones. And this wasn't like a little cat fight, a little argument. Krista tried to strangle Patricia to death with a shoestring. Again, Krista also didn't try to hide this. She confessed to the entire thing on a recorded phone call with her mother. She had to know that like her calls were recorded, right? Like, really? Is she that fucking stupid? <clears throat> Actually, I don't even know why I just asked myself that because I mean, we're literally here because of her and her, well, <clears throat> Stupidity. Because of this attack, she was charged with first-degree attempted murder. Already on top of her charges, she was already sitting on death row for. So, not like it matters because she's already supposed to be executed. Don't know when that's gonna happen. Side note, one of the biggest things that pisses me off in this world is how the hell we have so many people sitting on death row? How is it so difficult to just fry somebody? Or, I, I don't know, lethally inject that? I don't understand why we have so many prisoners just sitting on death row. Half of them die of natural causes on their own as they're waiting. That doesn't feel like justice to me. Then, here's another thing. In 2012, I guess that Krista got real bored because she was still sitting behind bars. She decided this would be the perfect moment to try and escape. However, she decided to have some people help her. She had another inmate and a corrections officer help her try to get out. However, the plan ultimately, as you can guess, failed. She wasn't charged with this attempt, but does that really matter at all? Because she is still sitting on death row. Like, there's not a whole lot that she can lose at this point, so I guess... Whatever. Krista's attorneys want her death sentence to be commuted to life behind bars. 
This is due to her deteriorating mental health and brain damage that they say is inflicted on her because of the abuse that she endured in her childhood. So obviously everybody needs to feel a little bad and because of that she should just spend the rest of her life behind bars but not be executed because obviously she is just mentally ill and made a mistake so we should give her a little bit of forgiveness. To that I have to say, where was her forgiveness when she was beating the ever-loving fuck out of Colleen while Colleen begged and pleaded for her life and she just kept going until her brain literally busted open from her skull. Oh that's right, it was nowhere to be found. So forgive me if my forgiveness for Krista is also nowhere to be found. I did something horrible that is unacceptable and I realized that but I don't deserve to die for the actions of three individuals. I'm against the death penalty and I just have so much faith that God is not going to let my daughter die. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, this is the end of our show. As always, it feels so weird to say what I'm about to, but I hope you enjoyed it. You know, the topics I talk about are dark, twisted, and really fucked up. However, I put a lot of love, effort, and creation into what I bring you. I genuinely hope that you enjoy this time with me every week, and though the stories are not going to leave you warm and fuzzy, and we're not holding hands singing kumbaya as we cuddle with one another because we're telling stories of warm and fuzzies, Instead, you and I are left thinking, what the fuck? Are you serious? That's twisted as shit, Harmony. Yeah, I know. That's why I told you. And I love that for us. I love coming here every week to tell you these really messed up stories. But most of all, the reason why I love it is because I'm with you. So, what do you say? Meet me here next week, and I will tell you another pretty twisted story from around our world. A story that's going to remind you, hey, monsters are real. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're more than likely not under your bed or in your closet, though. In fact, you don't have to look in the dark for them. All you gotta do is look right next to you. Because more often than not, the monsters in the world are those that we love, cherish, and hold dearest to us. Anyways, stay safe, and I'll talk to you on the next episode of What the Actual F. Seriously, watch your back. Don't go in the woods with somebody that, you know, offers to get you high because I never want to tell a story about you. Love you. Later. Bye.